uh, again, Perry, what a joy to have you. Brought your guitar. Maybe maybe later, after service, you'll play us a song and sing us a song. What a joy to have you. Everyone here for the first time, glad that you're here. Uh, first time you're a guest, the second time you're family. And uh, we want you to know that you're always welcome at Harvest as long as the doors are open. So many, so many things they happen in this season of praise and worship. And I uh, have a very dear friend and shared with him uh, some concerns that I, I felt that I saw on Christian television. He has been very much a part of Christian television. And uh, he opened my eyes to some things that uh, sometimes that we forget or we have, we have learned and then have, have filed it, sorted it away. But because of the grace of God, we are God's children, and he loves us just the way that we are. And last week, I, or two weeks ago, I talked about a bump in the road. And I talked about when God called you, he knew there was going to be a bump in the road. He knew that there would be tough times, rough times, time we feel like that we would give up. But he also knew what he made you of and what he put on the inside of you. And it is, we have come as the corporate body of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded that before you could step beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies, there was an altar. And this altar was called apothecary. And the apothecary was five different ingredients mixed with oil that God gave them the recipe. The apothecary, as he gave them the recipe, he said, I don't want this fragrance used for any other reason but to prepare the priest to step into my presence. I've, uh, I've, I can relate to the apothecary. We have spent several sessions talking about the apothecary, the power of praise and worship, the power of binding and loosening. But one thing about the apothecary, all the ingredients either had to be stripped or struck or bled. To get, to get the ingredients of the apothecary, it went through some kind of harsh measure to produce it for what it was. And this morning, as we have brought all of our hurts and all of our pains, and all of our frustrations to God, who has been faithful at every step of the road. Each one of us bring a part of that worship to God. Maybe a tough day, rough day, maybe a rough week, maybe a rough month, maybe a rough decade. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure where you're at, but when you watch the, the reconciliation and the power of God, I mean, Todd and Misty, they are a miracle. I mean, that's what the kingdom is all about following and pursuing God's will, being there to strengthen and being there to help. How, I, how ironic that uh, most of you know I've been clean 36 years from all kinds of junk. Uh, uh, Pastor Rhonda has never smoked a joint. When I look at D Pastor David and Connie who have dedicated their lives, neither one of them were drug addicts or, or, or could, could relate to any of that. But God brings us together. I really think that right now one of the number one attacks against the nation and against the church is prescription. And I believe that there is a, there's a plan to trap you, a, a plan to, to suck you in. And, you know, we may say more about restoration of, 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 of a drug addict because that's what we do. That's what we reach. That's who is here in this house. The greatest testimony, and Pastor Ronnie can relate, we have a dear friend uh, who... who pursued the Miss America, one Miss Georgia, I think was the third runner-up of Miss America. But uh, through the corridors of friendship, she called me and said, Hank, said, I, I've, got a, I've got an opportunity to sing for Pat Robertson on the 700 Club, but they want my testimony. They want my resume. They want my, my story. 
And she said, I don't have a story like you. I didn't go to jail. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I told her, to her Marlisa, the greatest testimony a young person could ever have is to say, I never did drugs. I never smoked pot. I never did that. I was a virgin on my wedding night. What a great testimony. And so here in this house, we have a combination of, of those of us that were dirty rats. I mean, we were wet, dirty rats. And then we've got those that really have not tasted that. And thank God for that. Thank God for the mixture that you can, you can look at our life and see some of, the, some of the bad decisions we made and some of the places that we had to go. But bottom line, he is a God of restoration, and he loves our praise. And this morning, you know, as I'm very proud of Wesley and Leah, just, they're just kids that have brought us much, much joy, much honor. And as he asked on the, on, the, on, the, on the platform, helping us lead worship, it just touches your heart when you know that consistency uh, the first Sunday in March, we will be 26 years old when the consistency of the whosoever that one generation shall praise thy works to another. Now, two or three different generations. But, you know, as I was just watching and watching people do what God's people are supposed to do when they come to the house of God, Wendy, I just felt in my spirit to tell you that this season you're in is coming to closure. It's coming to an end. I'm telling you. No more flat tires, no more alternator, no more that, that physical challenge representing transportation. It kind of signifies of the place that God wants to take you through him. And there's not going to be flat tires, not going to be frustrations. You're going to step into a very good season. And I want you to look for it, expect it, and believe that God's going to do it. But we, we bring who we are, and we bring what we are into the house of God. And God receives us just the way that we are. Last week, as we talked about the joy of the Lord and, and, and the peace of God, and we talked about how we tap into his joy and we tap into his peace. Yesterday afternoon, I told Pastor Ron, I believe that we were at the house and the kids had come over for lunch and we're kind of cleaning up. And I told Pastor Ron, I said, the Lord has already put something in my spirit for next Sunday. So all week long, this has been stirring. And all week long, this is just, there's just been a there's just been a, a nudge or, and then all week long there have been confirmations of this is the direction that I, that I want you to go. But the, the thing that I'm looking for today, and if I had a title, it would simply be 50-50. 50-50. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. John, John, uh, Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you don't receive again the spirit of fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What's the next verse? Oh, Romans 8, 14. I'm sorry, David. I, I just got excited about quoting it. I didn't wait for you. The Spirit itself bears with, with our spirit that we are the children of God. Notice the next verse. And of children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. I love a word in that passage of scripture that says joint heirs. That word joint heirs means that we split 50-50 with whoever our heir is. Now, I have never received in the mail or received ever a inheritance. Both my parents are alive. Rhonda's parents are alive. We don't want them to die. We don't want them to go anywhere. We want them to live long and enjoy their life. We don't want any of the stuff they have. There's not really 
a whole lot I would do different if I received a large amount of money. There's not really, I am who I am. I probably wouldn't go back to school. I, the car I drive works. I mean, there's not a whole lot of stuff. So I'm not waiting for my parents to die. But I have never been told, hey, somebody died and left you a chunk of change. That's never happened to me. Now, maybe that has happened to you. Maybe someone you did not know, you never had a part of their life, and they die and left you a large amount of money. I mean, that's a blessing, and I'm not praying that your relatives would die and you would get a large amount of money. But I'm saying I've, I've, never, been, I've never received that kind of blessing or that kind of favor. But I know what the word joint means. I know that Pastor Rond and I, we are 50-50. Everything I have is hers. Everything that she has is mine. We share our blessings, we share our frustrations, we bring that to the table. And that's what covenant, or that's what relationship is all about. But here in Romans, the Paul, Paul begins to tell us that there is a nudge that God extends to you to touch your heart, to draw you to him. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, there was a, there was a divine connection, and you know what? what day that was, and you know what happened. There was a divine connection that God came to where you were, and he breathed on your dead spirit, and he ignited something in your life, and you had this overwhelming desire to give your heart to God. That is a, that is a God moment. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads us to God and allows us to be adopted into the family of God. In my conversation this week with, with the television evangelist, we begin to talk about homework, and stuff that you feel like you have to do after you leave a sermon or a message. I don't know if you feel that way sometimes at Harvest that we want you to go home and practice praying more, which never hurt anybody. Practice worshiping more, which never hurt anybody. But we shouldn't feel like that every time we come to church, there's a message that reminds us that we're not living up to par or living up to the mark that God has established for us. And we, we don't need to leave the house of God feeling as if, well, I really didn't do the homework of last week, and I feel kind of guilty about that. And I, and I, I got homework now this week, and I'm going to go home with all the stuff that's going on in my life. I've got to do this to be a child of God or do this for the favor of God or the blessing of God. And if Church of the Harvest and the ministries of Church of the Harvest has ever promoted that or produced that, I apologize. That's not what being a part of the kingdom is all about. It's all about the amazing grace of God and his grace that he extends to us. And the word of God says that when we come into the kingdom in a right relationship with Christ, that everything that Jesus has, we get half of. Join air. So everything, and, I, and I, just, I just started mentally just refreshing myself with scripture that I knew in places that I read, and I just started going through some, some things that God says that we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And last Sunday, I didn't really feel like that I completed the task that God gave me. Uh, the, the Lord has given me a signature message that I will share throughout the nation whenever God opens the door. And it is the fact that we are America, the medicated. And the reason that we are America, the medicated, is because as little children, we were taught 
that there's a cabinet somewhere in the kitchen or somewhere in the bedroom that if you go to that cabinet, you can open that door and you can medicate to solve the problem that you're experiencing, whether it's a cough or whether it's a cold or whether, and, 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 and we were, we were, this whole generation has been taught to believe if you're not feeling good, you can take something and you will feel better. Can you relate? So, so we are, we are from, from, from a very young age, we're very, and I, I've, I've almost at times wanted to take all the medicine out of one cabinet and put it in another cabinet. So we wouldn't become so dependent upon that one, one particular area of the kitchen that we can go and we can solve the problems that we are experiencing physically. The Bible says if there's any sick, let, him lay hand, let, let the elders lay hands upon him and he will get better. And you know, that works. Not just, not just this week, but it's so much happened this week in the middle of the week. Uh, Christine is rarely sick. She's rarely down. She runs 100 miles an hour. But Pastor Ron asked me to stop and get some French fries that she wasn't, she wasn't feeling all that good, that she had a, a cold and had some things going on. So I went in the room, and she obviously was not feeling very good. And I laid hands on her, and I commanded her body to come in line with the Word of God. And I commanded her body to respond that I was going somewhere. But when I came back, she was going to start feeling better. And so I went. I did what I was supposed to do. I brought the, I brought the French fries and I bought the, the little Coke. And I walked in the bedroom and I said, are you feeling better? And she said, my headache's gone. And the process, the next few hours, everything that was wrong with her was restored. Why? Because that's an inheritance that you and I have. We have the ability to lay hands upon those who are sick and expect something to happen. Now, God is not like a, a private genie or a, or a, or a wishing well. or a, we, don't, we don't manipulate God, but there are things that we have inherited because Christ went to Calvary. There are things that we've inherited because of the blood that was shed for us. And I'm going to talk about that a little later, but, I, but I, when I think about that, the, the benefits and the blessings that he gives us, that so many times we don't take that authority that God has given us. Maybe we, maybe we feel like it's too mundane or too insignificant, but listen, if he notices the death of every sparrow and he notices those of us that have hair, notices every time we lose a strand of hair, he's a God that cares about the little things, and he's a God that that, that just favors his children, blesses his children. But I believe a lot, a lot of times we fall short of what all that God has for us because the word says you have not because you ask not. So as we were looking last week at this, at this negativity in the world to medicate or take a drink or take a pill or whatever it takes, there are only two reasons that we medicate. We learned that last week, and one was to attain some type of joy, that's why we have alcohol. That's why we have meth and cocaine. And then we want to maintain some kind of peace. And that's why we take uh, oxys and hydros and morphine and all that stuff. But the two things that our body craves are there because God put them in there for us. God has actually put in, in, your, in your suke, in your soma, God has put the desire in your life to be happy. He's not a boring God. He's not a sad God. He's not a depressed God. He's a happy God, and he does things that makes us happy. You don't believe me? Look at the orangutan or the porpoise, and two out of every three people in the world are weird. Look to your left. Look to your right. 
and you can determine where you fall in that protect that particular category. But God God puts these God puts these buttons in our spirit that He wants us to pursue and He wants to walk in. And if God ever wanted us to walk in joy, it's today. He wants us to pursue that joy and He wants us to walk in that peace. And so those two receptors in our body can only be satisfied by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, serving him and making him the Lord of your life and not being afraid to open your mouth to praise him and worship him. It's amazing how powerful your mouth is. Husband and wife had planned for years to go to Israel. They made the trip. They're in the Mon Jordan airport. Their plane was hijacked. Terrorists took everything they had, set them out on the runway, stranded, broke, busted, and disgusted. And the husband said, darling, we are broke. We don't have anything to our name. We are in trouble. She said, we're not broke. He said, what do you mean? She said, well, I've got this. And she held out her hand, and there was a pearl necklace, a, a wedding a diamond, and a, and a brooch in, her, in the palm of her hand. He said, where did you hide that from the terrace? She said, in my mouth. He said, my God, if your mom would have been here, we could have saved the luggage. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that courtesy laugh. Pastor Todd, you, all, you know, you've heard that joke, too, and you, you still like it. That is such a, that is such a, but there's a reason why God gave us a big mouth. I believe it's to ask big. It's not to limit him, but it's to pursue all that he has for us. So God has placed in us a receptor of joy and a receptor of peace. And we talked last week about, you know, when you drink a beer or you smoke a cigarette or you take a pill, it goes up about this high. Then the next time it comes here, and it seems like you've got to, you've got to over-abuse, I guess is the word. You've got to do more and more and more. And I have people in my life. I was not that kind of drinker. I was a lightweight. But I have people in my life that they drink a case of beer every night before they go to bed. And it's like, it just, it's just like two beers isn't enough. A case is not enough. You've got to add more. You've got to do this. And those of you that can relate to that drug path, we started with marijuana or, or tobacco, and it seemed like it got worse and worse and worse because it seemed like we could not satisfy the craving in our heart and spirit. And I'll never forget, as a junior in high school, I went to a, uh, my parents took me out of public school my sophomore year because drugs were so bad in, in the 70s there in California. And they placed me in a, in a private school, not realizing that all the kids in private school had been kicked out of public school for drugs. And so my, my Assembly of God high school was full of all kinds of wild and crazy things, but God kept me, and I stayed off of drugs and alcohol. But I remember there was a, there was a, a moment in my life when Nancy Harmon came to our school and, and did what they call the convocations, and it was a week filled of praise, and, and just, it was, just it was, it was a moment of intimacy with God. And I was a junior in high school and really felt the Lord. I remember Nancy Harmon sang a song that says, Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can cleanse your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Heaven and joy, only Jesus can satisfy the longing in your soul. And I'm here to tell you that it's not going to come through medication. It's not going to come through alcohol or drug. It's not going to come through wisdom. It's not going to come through sex. It's not going to come through marriage. But it's something he places in your heart that he watches over. He nurtures. He puts the right kind of people in your life. He lets you hear the right kind of stuff. But then it's up to you to pursue what he has so freely given. 
And when we look at that last week, we were looking at Hebrews 11 chapter, obviously the faith chapter of the Bible, one of the first chapters I committed to memory. And the first half of the chapter has so many great things. Noah and, and, and Abraham and, and, and Moses and just all these great miracles and all these great signs and wonders. And then the last half of the chapter is filled with people that were murdered for their testimony and they were abandoned and they were abused. So you've got this, you've got this half of the, of the chapter talks about all these great breakthroughs and miracles. And then you've got this, this consistency of pain and suffering. And today we're seeing that the Christian in the Middle East is now being murdered and persecuted for their testimony. Who would have ever thought in 2015 that there would be a generation that would murder Christians and take their life? But here we've got, so in, in America, we've got the church can do whatever it wants, go whatever it wants, say whatever it wants. And then we got a church in, in Libya that's persecuted and they're dying for their testimony. So really, nothing really has changed. You've got half of, half of the chapter, everybody's blessed, and half the chapter, they're paying an arena's price for the gospel. But then when it talks about all those things in Hebrews 11, it says this, Wherefore, uh, Hebrews 12 and 1, seeing we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily perceive us and let us pursue the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the Father. And what is so crazy when, when Hebrews, the 12th chapter, talks about some kind of joy that Jesus experienced, and as you begin to pursue that joy, you look and see that he knew that one day you and I would be resurrected from this place called earth, and we would be transported to a place called heaven, translated into his kingdom and his likeness, and there we would take our crowns and lay them at his feet, and we would worship him day and night as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He saw all of that, and that made him happy. In John 15, 11, it said, let my joy be in you. When we talk about Nehemiah 8, 8 and 5, the joy, 8 and 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is that joy? If I may, I would like to illustrate. We know that there are three in heaven. We know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So I need, I, I need a God. Pastor Todd, would you come be my God? And if you just stand here and do what gods do. And then there was a, and then there was a, a, a son. Justin, come, come be Jesus. I can see it. Can you see it? And then there was a Holy Spirit. Brother Keith, if you'll come and be my Holy Spirit. Okay. We know that heaven is composed of three. We know that there are three archangels, Michael, Lucifer, and Gabriel. And we know that Michael was the angel that led one-third of the angels in praise and worship to the Father. I'm going to ask Angel, would you come and be my Michael? And would you stand before God? And as you extend your hands towards him in praise, he's going to extend his hands back to you in fellowship. No, God. That God. No, that God. This God, yes. Okay. As you, as you praise him, as you... Who's God? Oh, I'm sorry, Pastor Todd, you're God. What was I thinking? I was listening to the Pastor sermon. Todd, if you and Justin would trade places. No, Justin The other Justin. Yes, yes. Just the middle. Okay, now, angel, you are Michael. Okay, focus. The war angel that leads one-third of all the angels in praise and worship to God. And then we have Gabriel. Uh, 
Pastor Desmond, come and be Gabriel for me. And I want you to leave one-third of the angels in praise and worship to Holy Spirit Keith. You're going to be my, you're going to be my Gabriel. Okay, we see that God has one-third of the angelic hosts worshiping him and praising him. We see that Holy Spirit has one-third of the angels in praise and worship, worshiping him. But Jesus, one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven because of Lucifer. So now Jesus is raising up a choir that one day we're going to stand in his presence and we're going to lift our hands towards him and we're going to praise him and we're going to be that missing link, that missing piece. That's how much God desires for you to be in heaven so that you can fulfill that. That's how much the Lord desires when you praise and worship God, you become that missing, oh, I need a friend in the house. Come on, help me. Can you see it visually? You feel that spot. That's your spot. Thanks, guys. You guys did a great job. Don't expect an honorarium. He's too, too brief on the platform. So, so, so you feel that spot. And so every time the Lord looks at you, it brings him joy. And he remembers who you are in him and who he is in you. Every time the Lord thinks of you, there's the peace that passeth all understanding that he applies. If you'll go with me, we've already looked at John 15 11, Hebrews 12. Go with me to Luke 10, if you will, just for a minute. Luke 10. Luke, is a, Luke 10 is a restoration scripture. And what I mean by restoration, we won't take the time to go there, but those of you that have been with me for a while, you know the story. In, in Judges, the fifth chapter, there was an army of warriors that had been trained to fight but never had the opportunity. God tells the people of Israel to go and take the land. The land had been overwhelmed by a king called Adonai, which means Lord, Bezik. Bezik means land. So the Lord of the land had, had put so much hurt and pain on this generation that he had captured 70 kingdoms. He took their kings, he cut their thumbs off, he cut their toes off, and then he forced them to serve at his table. And so as God sends them into the land of Bezek to encounter Adonai, they say, who shall go for us? And you know the story, Judah goes first, prays, and Simeon, which means hear of the word or a prayer. So you got a praiser and a prayer going together in battle, and they catch Adonai Bezek. And they cut off his fingers, they cut off his toes, and he said, my, my, what I have done to 70, you have done to me. And then he died. He couldn't even handle the pressure that he put upon these kings. So we find in, in, in Judges there were 70 kings that lost their toes and their thumbs. You lose your thumb, you lose your grip. You lose your toes, you lose your balance. And probably today one of the greatest tragedies in the church of Jesus Christ, we've lost our grip. We've lost that authority that we're supposed to operate in, and we've lost our balance. Things are really crazy right now in, in what you would call the denominational or the, nation, or the nationwide church. So Luke 10, the first verse, he sends them out, teams of two, 35. 35 times two is what? This is not a trick question. 70. So the 70 kings that were messed up and judges, God restores, sends 70 of his kids, and they come back, notice if you will, in verse 18. Luke 10. I'm sorry, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us to thy name. 
And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Notwithstanding this, you rejoice not, but that spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your name is written down in heaven. And Dalton, what is so crazy there, that next phrase, it says, in that same hour, the actual Greek means for the next hour. Oh, Dalton's God. I hate that. Oh, there he is. The, the next hour. So for the next hour, Jesus rejoiced. That re word rejoice in the Greek is a Galileo. It means the leap. It means the twirl. It means the spin. It means to make a large amount of noise. So notice this. Jesus, for an hour, all he does and praise and worship God. And he, and he tells God, Father, I thank you that you've hid this from the wise, but you revealed it unto thee. He said this. Listen, don't get all hung up on the fact that demons will submit to you. Because that can hurt, a, a, hurt and harm a lot of leaders in the kingdom. I've seen some people go after demonology and I'll tell you what, we don't, we don't entertain them around here. You want to cast them out, we've got a room you can go do that in. But that's not, that's, not a, that's not a doctrine that we make a big deal about. And that's what the Lord said. Don't get all hung up in the dark side. Don't get all hung up on the beautiful side of evil. Don't get hung up on, on and, and don't get all hung up on the fact that you have authority over demons. I beheld seven, Satan, I cast him down one third. He said, but marvel more, watch this, that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And that's that one-third, that's that missing element that God is raising up through the blood of His Son, through the power of the cross. Don't get excited about demons, but marvel more that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. I'm telling you right now, my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. It's there for the world to see, for God to see. And one day I'm going to leave this place and go where he's at. And I'm going to dwell in his presence. And I will walk in that inheritance, that authority, and all that he has for me. But why do we have to wait till then to walk in the authority and the favor and the blessing that God has given us? Okay, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention, and we've already, we've already touched on this, so we will be very brief is that the number one thing that God wants you to have in your relationship with him is the joy of Jesus. And when you forget about how, when you forget, let me rephrase that. When you start judging yourself and you start putting yourself down and you start reminding yourself of all your failures and all your discrepancies, cast that thought down and remind yourself what Jesus thinks about you. To him, you are all that and a bag of chips. That's why he died. He sought you out. He thought you were so special that he would lay down his life and that he would put his presence, his power, and he would fill you, are you ready for this, with his joy. So when things really get tough and things really get messed up, just focus on this. The devil is a liar. And anytime the devil tries to remind you of your past, which is under the blood and is under the sea of forgetfulness, a sign says no fishing. You can't go back and mess with that. It's, 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 it's gone. It's history. Every time the devil tries to remind you of your past, well, you did this or you did that or you did this, you simply remind the devil of his future. 
You're going to burn, baby, burn. You're going to fall into a bottomless pit, and you're going to be tormented the rest of your life. And when the enemy tries to remind you of your past, remind the enemy that there's a place called Calvary that you found, and you made an altar, and you asked the King of Glory to come into your heart and to your life and be the Lord of your life. And now you belong to Him, and that brings, that brings much joy to God. And so what, here's what the Lord says, that in me, your joy might be full. And so the joy of the Lord, knowing that we're one day going to be in his presence, we focus on that. And when you start thinking about where you're going to spend eternity and who you're going to spend it with and what you're going to do in eternity, how overwhelming, how Paul said, eye is not seen, ears not heard, neither entered into the imagination of the hearts of men, the things that God has prepared for them. So when you feel a little blue, a little down, a little frustrated, just remind yourself what Jesus thinks about you. He loves you so much that he laid down his life and died just for you. Oh, that ought to, that ought to get somebody excited. The guys are going to help me. There's a, a passage of Scripture. The second thing that I'll bring to you is Philippians 2 and 5. Let this mind, which is in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to stop right there. It says, let this mind be in you. As a joint heir, not only do I get his joy, but I get his mind. Now it says, does it say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus? who being the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal of God, but made of himself no reputation, and humbled himself and become obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Does that excite anybody in this house today? He gladly chose Calvary so that he could get you. That was the price he paid that he could get you. So now not only do we have his joy flowing in our spirit that encourages us. But now the same thoughts that Christ could think, the same things that happened in the mind of Christ can now happen in us. Proverbs 23 and 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. When you start realizing who you really are and what you really can do and what you've overcome, and then you receive the promise that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Like Jesus, you want to have your own little altar call, your own little praise and worship, and you just want to spin around and say, isn't God good all the time? God is good. There's something about having, and just a few comparisons, we've been told some of us use as much of, as 10% of a brain, some of us. Other like me are probably more than the three and the four. I think Einstein and some of them, a teenager, hire a teenager while they still know it all. They, they have that, 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 that mind of Christ. But, but So we're using three to 10% of our brain. Jesus, in the full capacity of 100% of the brain, could walk on water, could walk through walls. All the stuff that he could do because his mind was the same as the mind of God. So now the mind of God is in Christ, and then the Lord says, now I want my mind to be in you, so the thoughts that I think, can you think also? Man, when's the last time you ever, I get so tempted sometimes when I go 
to a hospital and I walk down the corridors and especially if it's a, 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 a like a like a hospice and you know that everyone in, in, in each room has been given a death sentence and you know you walk by the room and they're there by themselves there's no one in there I mean what would happen if just one or two one or two of us just for the sake of doing it just went to the hospital and said you know what I'm going to pray for every single bed. The door is open, and I'm going to believe that God's going to heal. Every- you know what happened? Doctors would start suing you because you're taking away their money because they can't operate on people that are healthy. Do I have a friend in the house? Do I have a? Do I have- so it's like it's like so. The same mind that was in Christ is now in us, and we are to flow. So we got His joy, and we got His mind. And if you're taking notes, if you look at John 16 and 33. The guys are going to put it up there. In this world, you should have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And this statement right above that, do we have it? Am I going, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm probably quoting more than you're, okay. These things have I spoken to you that in me you might have peace. Okay, think about that for a moment. The same peace that monitored the life of Christ, that he could get in the the hull of a boat and lay down and take a nap. When the storm is raging and the the waves are out of order and the currents are out of order and every disciple thought they were going to die and they went to where he was, good thing they woke him up. And they woke him up and said, don't you care that we perish? Okay, they had just watched him feed 15,000 people with two fish and some, and some wonder loaves. Five pieces of bread and two fish. One atheist said the reason he conducted that miracle is that the fish were larger in those days. You have a 12-year-old boy dragging a catfish. Okay, how crazy is that? Okay, th- think about what we just said. 5,000 men, if each man had a wife, be 10,000. If each family had a son or a daughter, there'd be 15,000. Minimum 15,000 people. I never met a Jew yet, only one child, but look at Jacob, had 12. But, but, but here, they just watched him, and the thing that was, they were tired. They were tired. They were burnt out. They were done ministering. Not that they did anything. Let's line the people up. So anyway, they were tired. And they said, hey, let's, let's send them home. If we go to town to feed them, it's going to cost a, a year's wages. And Jesus said, well, what have we got? Well, we got this little boy. Didn't want you to go hungry. And Jesus, you're the only one that's compensated here. We're all going to be hungry, and they're all going to go. And so Jesus said, whatever you have, bring it to me. And they brought it to him, and he blessed it. And you know the story. Five pieces of bread, two little sardines or whatever they were, brim, little, two little perch. Jesus blessed it and broke it. And the Bible said that when they were done feeding the multitude, they took up an offering and there were 12 baskets left. Well, who got it? The little boy? Probably not. He, he had stuff. Probably the disciples all got one basket to remind them of the miracle that they had just witnessed. 
They just watch him feed 15,000 people with a Big Mac, an order of fries, and a small Dr. Pepper, and they get in the boat. The storm is raging, and he said, Master, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus said, didn't you just see the miracle I performed? What are you so uptight about? What are you so messed up about? And then he said, peace be still. And they freaked out. What manner of man is this that even the waves, even the wind, even the storm obeys? I remember we used to sing that song that says, I know the master of the wind. I know the maker of the sea. He has the ability to speak calm over every single storm in your life, every single problem in your life. But I think what he would like for you to do is reflect on the last miracle that he did for you. You did not overdose. You didn't die in that car wreck. You were not aborted. You were not abandoned. God has been watching over your life every single day of your life. And when you remind yourself of what he did yesterday, he's the great show off. I don't know how we do it, but every year, our Christmas dinner theater just goes one more notch. And it's like, how in the world are we? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of, you understand, there's a lot of pressure when you're the CEO and co-pastor of this church. And right now, we're looking at Easter. And, and you know, my friends from Georgia, we have crucified Christ 25 times. We've raised him from the dead. We had one Christ fall off the cross and put himself back up there. We had one Christ. We had a, we had a, I broke my back, and we had a brace from, from the chest down to about the waist, and we really beat him. We took the, the cat of nine tails, and we beat the living. He was tied, and we were beating him. We had some big, heavy, bad little guys just wearing him out. And we thought he was saying, harder. And we're thinking, man, what a great testimony. In our drama, he wants even more. He was saying, higher, because we were beating him where the brace was not. And, I, and you know what? Two things. He never did Jesus again. As a matter of fact, he doesn't go to our church anymore. So I don't, I don't. But when you, when you try to, okay, what are we going to do this year at Easter? I mean, we're going to. Let's like blow up part of the sanctuary and let it smoke and vapor. I mean, we've had them swinging. We've had them, you, you, we had them levitating. You name it, we've done it. Okay, so what? But you know what? That's just like God. Every time he does something, he does it better than he did the last time. Amen. So what he did for you last week is going to be even more greater because he's had more time to think about it and to watch over you and spoil you rotten. Slap somebody a high five and say, I am spoiled rotten in Jesus' name. Now we transition. This is not going to be quite as popular. You're probably not going to shout as much as this. Matthew 16, 24, he said, if any man be as me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Blessed are they that are persecuted for my name's sake, for great shall be their reward in heaven. Here's what Jesus said, Perry. If they hated me, they're going to hate you even more. If they cussed me, they're going to cuss you even more. If they lied on me and trashed me and threw me under the bus, they're going to trash you and lie to you even more. But Melissa, the Bible says that there is a blessing attached when we are beat up. 
Blessed are ye when persecute you and say, and so everything the world does to us to reciprocate what happened to Christ on the cross is a blessing to us. So it is a blessing to take up. I'm not supposed to carry your cross, Lee. I'm not, Pastor, I'm not, I've got my own cross. I got my own stuff that I'm working with that I'm soaring out. It's my own cross. But the Bible says there is favor and blessing attached to that cross. And if his cross on, the, on, on, on a hill could save the sins of mankind, then how much is our life, our testimony, how many are we leaving the presence of God? Because we, we know we've got a cross, first of all. We carry it, we do well, and we go where God wants us to go. You get, if you can do it without putting a, I don't want to have a healing service today, so if you can do it without putting a crick in your shoulder, would you try to just pat yourself on the back? Just, just go ahead, just pat yourself on the back, because you have taken up, your cross, and you are following Christ. And this is, I will leave you with the last thing, and then I will give you what I felt like God wanted you to have. It's only two minutes after 12. The Baptist won't be there till 1230, so we'll, we'll beat the Baptist today. Are you ready? There's a Sometimes don't you wish that you were just a fly on the wall to have been there at Calvary at the I mean, just sometimes I just wish I could just chill out with Jesus because his brain never stopped working. And even when he was chilling, he was a Messiah. So they're all chilling out. I don't know, maybe they got some taco soup. Homemade fudge. Mind of Christ, strawberry ice cream. Or maybe they just had this big old turkey, turkey leg. And Jesus chewing on that leg and he says, By the way, guys, who do men say that I am? And of course, what a question. And all of a sudden they're all responding. You're Isaiah, you're Jeremiah. You're John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. You're this, you're that. So they heard all, all the, the, the chatter. And then he makes it personal. And he said, but guys, who do you say that I am? Peter opened his mouth and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says something very interesting. He said, Peter, flesh and blood, knowledge, education, did not reveal this to you. But my Father, which is in heaven. I'm telling you what, if you're hanging with Jesus, there's a very great possibility that God's going to reveal some stuff to you. Text that I've read the same, I told you about John 20. I've read that a thousand times. But I never picked up while it was still dark. Mary went to the tomb. A lot of weeping endures for a season, but joy comes in the morning. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the, the Christ, the Yeshua HaMashiach, the Son of a living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I used to preach that gates as a really big deal, that that was the fortress, that was the, that was the, that was the metropolitan of, of the city. And then I uh, had a friend in Wildwood Forward tell me, he said, he said, Hank, I wasn't pastor evangelizing. He said, there's something that you're teaching that's not correct in doctrine. I said, okay. I said, what is it? He said, well, you're talking about storming the gates of hell, you know, all of that. He said, but the gates is the weakest part of the fortress. The walls are solid, they're high, they're thick, but only the gates is there a possibility that it could be breached. So when Jesus says, not even the gates of hell are going to stop you and hinder you, it's like the story of the guy that had been robbed and he realized it. And he went to the house where all his stuff was at and he kicked the door down and he went in and he bound the strong man and then he started taking back Brittany, all the stuff that had been stolen from him. See, there's something what the devil doesn't realize. He can't hide anything from God. If God, if the enemy steals your ministry, if he steals your anointing, he steals your favor, where is he going to hide it that God's not going to find it, relocate it, and disperse upon it and give it back to you? How stupid can he be? So here's what the Lord is telling you. We are his church, and we are a part of the church, and we inherit that. That fact that we are the church, that our robes have been washed, and that there's going to be a wedding in heaven, and we are the bride. You all know that story. And I conclude with this thought. Most people don't preach this thought because they can't pronounce it. It's called propitiation. And I looked at Webster's Dictionary. I said, well, what does propitiation mean? There's three or four definitions. One says to prevent... Or remove anger to appease or reconcile and then I went to the Greek to find out what the word propitiation meant and it means this and this is where we've really got to be careful this was the gospel being preached on television that I worry about I don't believe that we can continue in sin and know that we're sinning because of the grace of God However, the, the word propitiation means that when Jesus died at Calvary and became the propitiation of our sins, it means this. All my great-grandpa's sins, all my grandpa's sins, all my dad's sins, all my sins, all my children's sins, all my grandchildren's sins were all paid for on the cross. And now we, we realize that, that that word propitiation lets us know that God never intended for us to be perfect. God never intended for us to absolutely get it all together because we're not. We're in that sinful nature. We're in the generation that has birthed sin. But here's what God is saying. Just in case you mess up, it's already been paid for. And we don't walk in guilt. We don't walk in condemnation. We don't walk in fear. It's because, and I guess the only, I guess the only way yesterday, lifelong friends, sons and daughter, we did their wedding. They were on staff with us for, for five years. Scott and Cindy came in to, to eat lunch with us, headed to uh, Caleb's rugby game. And we were just enjoying all of that. And the baby was a little fussy, so I took the baby. And I, and I really didn't, I really didn't want to, I didn't really want, but I found myself kind of holding the baby so that everybody in the restaurant could see her because she's such a good looking kid. And such a, and like that was my, that was the generation, the follow generation 
I must have done something right with Courtney and Angel because they birthed such a beautiful child. I mean, that's, that, I know that kind of, sounds, kind of, sounds kind of scary. But how many times? And if he has a wallet, the baby, your picture's in it. And he's walking around heaven right now saying, there's my chocolate thunder. That's my daughter. If God has a wallet, your picture's in it. And you know what I'm not going to do if Courtney and Angel get in a fuss? I'm not going to exempt them from family meals. I'm still going to buy them Christmas presents. Hello. And should, and should, although it would never happen, but should Skyler in any way, shape, or form mess up? It ain't going to happen. I don't disown her because she's being human. But it's when they're having struggles is when you're that much closer you're that much more response and I conclude with this and this is my only conclusion and I thought about Pastor Ron and I Ashton Dalton kid grew up in church all his life Pentecostal church much involved musician loved the church loved the Lord loved God served the Lord his whole teenage life went to college began to attend a university that was very secular a lot of humanism, agnostic, a lot of different theologies, theories. One afternoon, the school brought in a special speaker, an atheist. That atheist stood, greeted the, the, the populace there, and he said, there are some in this, in this building that believe that there is power in the blood of a man called Jesus Christ. He said, I'm here to tell you there's no more power in the blood of Jesus than there is in that water in the drinking fountain outside in the hall. That kid who day after day been pounded, there is no God, there is no, got overwhelmed to such a degree that he stood on his face, stood on his feet. Be tough to stand on his face, wouldn't he? I don't know why, I, was, I looked at Leanne and thought about that. Stood up, he jumped up in the middle of that auditorium and said, at the top of his lungs, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stain. By the time he got to the chorus, Wendy, every born-again Christian in that building was standing with him, and they were singing together, lose all their guilty stains. That agnostic got so flustered, he shut his book, he shut his nose, and he walked and he sat down. There is a fountain filled with blood. I'm here to tell you, we have been baptized in it. We've been submerged in it. And because of that blood, we are who we are in Christ. I don't want to offend anybody. But I'm having a tough time being asked to speak at different venues and standing up and saying, my name is Hank and I'm a drug addict. Not a drug addict. I've been clean 35 years. There's a whole lot of stuff I am. But that's one thing I'm not. And if you will today go and find what God's word says about you, you're to have his joy. You're to have his peace. You're to have his mind. You're to have that, you're to have that, that cross. You're to have that, that church. When you determine who you are and you begin to walk in that, it will change everything about you and everything around you. And we are world changers in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. Just, just for a moment, as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, if you're here today, and like I did several times younger in life, have wandered away from the things of God, the purpose of God, the direction of God, 
it's not like you're part of the mafia or drug cartel, but you're just, you know you're not where you need to be with the Lord. And the enemy has done a bunch of cheap shots, try to convince you to believe a lie or wrongful accusation or frustration, discouragement, depression. See, Pastor Hank, the enemy has tried to thwart my connection with God. He's tried to hide who I really am. And today, because you and the Word of God says, this is who I am, this is, this is what I need to walk in. And I just need to rec recommit everything to God. I just need to go back to that cross, kneel, allow the blood to wash me, and to stand redeemed and transformed and reconciled, just as if it had never happened. I need to do that today. If that's between you and the Lord and nobody else, I certainly would not bring attention to you or embarrass you. That's not the way I roll. But if you're here today in your heart of hearts, you know that you've wandered away and today you're coming home. Just put your hand up right back down. Is there one? Sure. Is there another? Father, you see these hands, you see these hearts. We're in your house calling upon your name. We ask you to do what you do so well. Reveal yourself to us. Let us see your tenderness, your kindness, your joy, your favor the destiny you have from us, the restoration, the reconciliation, the reformation. Let us learn to begin to walk in those things that you've spoken that we can walk in and speak those things you said that we can speak and do those things that you said that we can do. We leave today joint heir 50-50. Father, everything you give Jesus, we get half of. That's what it means to be joint heirs with him. In Jesus' name we agree. And you all said, 